Today's scripture reading is from Luke 24, 36 to 49. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I read an article in McLean's magazine that had this title, The World is Broken and Human Kindness is the Only Solution. The author talks about a, a compassion crisis that's in our healthcare, it's in our politics, it's in long-term care homes. The world is broken. Now that's not hard to see. And human kindness is the the only solution. Now that, that maybe kind of re- resonates. Um, we want to be hopeful people. We want to be optimistic people. Can we do this? Can we, can, can't we teach empathy? Can't we? Can we teach it to the kids? Can we make it fun in elementary schools? Can we, um, can't we teach it in medical schools? Can we somehow enshrine compassion in like legislation? Um, the article has a very hopeful tone about all these things. And the same article, um, also it's from July 2019. Uh, that's just about four years ago. Um, what about today, on the other side of a global pandemic? Where are we today? Are we hopeful today? I'm not sure. That's difficult to gauge, but I, th- I think that we tend to drift back and forth from like hope um, as, a, as a culture, from hope to uh, despair, to hope to despair, and we go round and round. I think hope in our culture will, will rise with a new idea, with a, with a charismatic leader of some kind, it will, a new coat of paint, um, and it doesn't seem to be very resilient. Um, hope does not seem to be resilient in our culture. Well, we're looking at the resurrection of Jesus these days. And we're going to see in today's passage, what we just heard read, a source of hope that is resilient. And it's not just a source of hope, it's also a movement as well. So the two points for this morning are these. Christ is risen, so hope in him And second, 
Christ is risen, so join the movement. First point, Christ is risen, so hope in him. The scene is a, a room in Jerusalem. Uh, it's a room where the apostles are gathered and the other disciples. And suddenly, without warning, Jesus, it, the man himself, is standing right there. And everyone freaks out. Like they're in a classic horror movie where you, you turn around and suddenly the, the murdered person is standing there looking at you. Um, like The Shining, okay? They're in the Overlook Hotel. Uh, they're totally terrified. Jesus says to them, he says, peace to you. And he says, why are you troubled? Why do your hearts doubt? Why are you surprised? You might be surprised by a spirit. I'm not a spirit. I'm not. Listen to how Jesus invites them. Then he says, see my hands. And my feet see the nail marks, touch me and see a spirit does not have flesh and bones as I have. But even that's not enough. It's all, this is all too, way, way too good to be true. Verse 41 says, they, they still disbelieved for joy, they still doubt. And so Jesus goes a step further. A ghost does not eat food. Remember Harry Potter? Remember nearly headless Nick? That's what he says, and he should know. Ghosts can't eat. <laughs> they, they, they can't, so Jesus says, give me some food. And on the spot, he eats it, right before their watching eyes. The person in the room, standing right in front of them, is Jesus. He says, it is I myself, verse 39, the, the, the grammar that's in those words, is like emphatic, as if to say, it is me, it's I, myself, I'm here. It's me. Across these resurrection passages, what we've been looking at for today and the past weeks, what you find again and again are highly skeptical people. Uh, and Jesus knows that nothing short of his appearing and his emphatic invitation to see and to, and to test and examine. Uh, nothing short of that is going to persuade them. And so he appears, and he lets them engage the evidence. He lets them become eyewitnesses. And it matters because eyewitness testimony is, is going to lay the foundation of the church. The whole Christian faith, the whole Christian hope is built on eyewitness testimony of the risen Jesus. And it is our hope as well. It's a resilient hope. It is. It's resilient. It's not like the hope in other, other Messiah figures. Bar Kokhba is a name that you've probably never heard of before. Uh, he led a rebellion in Judea 100 years after Jesus. He took up the sword against the Romans. He declared himself head of the free house of Israel. At the peak of the rebellion, according to some sources, he had 400,000 men under his command, leading a rebellion widely regarded as the Messiah. Now, you've never heard his name before. I would venture to guess, because after some early success in the early movement, 
Um, the fury of Rome fell on Judea again, and the revolt was pushed back, pushed back and back to the, to the fortress of Betar in the Judean mountains, like Helm's Deep in Lord of the Rings, okay? Except unlike Helm's Deep, the defenders were utterly destroyed, and it was a total massacre. And I can only imagine the soldiers of Bar Kokhba died cursing his name. And in the famine in Judea that happened after those events, the people of Judea cursed his name. Now how different from the followers of Jesus. How different. When, when the risen Jesus appears in Jerusalem, he says to them, you are witnesses. Now that's our English word, witnesses. It's from a Greek word, which is martus, where we get martyr. Think of that. This hope in Christ is resilient, and it is so resilient that according to tradition, the majority of the apostles, who are shortly going to go out from Jerusalem as witnesses, the majority of the apostles died spreading the faith and died blessing the name of Jesus. Blessing his name. Blessing his name. And, and say we have these kind of testimonies in the early church sources. I thank you, my God, that you have counted me worthy this day to seal my witness with blood. The early Christians, they spoke like that. It's extraordinary. Resilient faith. Resilient. A resilient hope because they saw him. These apostles did. And they laid the foundation of the church for us to read their testimony. This is not broken telephone over 2,000 years. Those apostles, they are still evangelizing people through the New Testament documents that you can hold in your hand and you can read them for yourself. They saw him. They saw him. And what's, what's more, they learned to see the meaning of the resurrection as well. Verse 44, look at it with me. Jesus says to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. It's a plan. Did you hear it? It's a plan. The unfolding of a great plan that's, that's outlined in all the scriptures of Israel and culminates in Jesus. It is a plan. For example, the third day. That's not random. It's in the plan. It is. Thus it is written, Jesus said, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Now there's a pattern in the scriptures. Uh, where the third day is the day of new life. And you see it actually on page one of the Bible. The first third day that we read about is in the, the, the third day of creation. What happens on the third day? God makes vegetation and plants bearing seed and fruit trees bearing fruit. Before there was barren ground, at the end of day three, life is coming up from the barren ground. But there's more. 
Don't believe that. If, if you don't believe that, there's more. There's a bunch more. Later in Genesis, Abraham is doing a hard thing. He, he's, going, um, he's going to sacrifice his son on the mountain. He's been traveling, making his way there. And on the third day, the Lord spares his son and provides an animal. So Abraham receives his son back from the dead. The third day brings new life. The son lives on the third day. And there's more. Exodus. The people of Israel are gathered at the base of Mount Sinai. And the Lord makes a covenant with his people on the third day. It's like a, wet, like, like a marriage covenant. So that a nation of former slaves becomes, on that day, his people, a new identity. The text of Exodus actually says it four times, the third day, the third day, third day, third day. It is driving this home. This is a day of new life for the people of God. And the prophet Jonah, in the belly of the, the great whale, and uh, eventually it vomits him onto dry land, on the third day, very strange, but new life on the third day. Um, last, the prophet Hosea. Listen to this, what Hosea says to God's people. Come, let us return to the Lord. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. It's like in a symphony, you hear a, you hear a melody in the, in the, in the opening, and, and that, that music cycles it through again and again and again, playing on the same melody the third day. Thus it is written, says Jesus, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And now in our own time, this would be like, for example, if, if the resurrection happened on November 11th, for example, Remembrance Day, right? Resurrection is an amazing event by itself. But the fact that it, that it would happen on that day, imagine, that day, it, it, it gathers into it the meaning of that day as well, all the meaning, the rich meaning of that day, that a whole, a whole culture of people have in their minds, that's what the day means, and the resurrection gathers that meaning to itself. Filled with meaning. Now, application on this first point here. Grace West, this is what's offered to you here. This is what's being held out to you. It's a source of hope that's resilient. The risen Jesus confirmed by the eyewitness testimony. But not only that, because you have here what this text is pointing you to is the meaning of the resurrection as well. This deep pattern in throughout the whole scriptures. It means new life for the promised son, like the son of Abraham. It means new life to God's people, like at the foot of the Mount Sinai. New life on the third day. It means new life to the creation. Life springs up from the barren ground on the third day. Grace West, you can put your hope here. And it's a hope worthy of becoming a movement. 
And that's what you see next. That's where this is going. The next point, Christ is risen, so join the movement. In the room at Jerusalem, what we're looking at today, at this moment, I would venture to say that Jesus has zero committed disciples. The people that we're reading about, they are confused, they're perplexed, they're surprised, they're shocked. Um, They were moments ago terrified. They're either, at this point, doubting or just beginning to believe. So how many committed disciples are there? I I hazard to guess there are none. And with a straight face, Jesus looks at them and he tells them that this is going to be a global movement. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. All the nations. A global movement. That's where this is going. You are witnesses, he says to his disciples. And he knows that his witnesses, his martyrs, are going to go out to the nations bearing witness. Now the content of that witness you actually get in verse 47. Look there with me. Verse 47, it's repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. Repentance, that means to turn. It means a change of mind and a a change in thinking. A change in thinking, for example, about God. That God exists. That might be the starting point of the change for some as the message goes out. What else? And that he knows everything, everything. And that he is holy and righteous and light, and in him there's no darkness at all. A change in thinking about God. But more, a change in thinking about ourselves. Anyone can say, no, I'm not perfect. And that sounds, that sounds kind of humble, right? So sometimes I slip up, I make mistakes. Um, but deep down, in the heart, in the heart of hearts, there's a conviction that I'm basically a good person. I'm, be, I'm good. I'm a good person. And to, now, now to that person and to you, if you say that in your heart, whether you're Christian or not, to that person, the gospel says, repent. Repent. You are mistaken about yourself. You're in error. What is needed, what's needed, is not for more people in the world to be more like you. I used to like, really believe that in my heart about myself. Um, I will con- confess before you all. What's needed is not that more people are more like you. What's needed for you is to repent for yourself and change your thinking, to admit that you have sin and that you cannot undo things that you've done in your life. The record stands. It stands, and you need Jesus to take the record and to nail it to the cross. To repent is to admit that you don't need your, your level of need is not that you need a, a, a counselor. It's not that you need a teacher. It's not that you need a self-help book or article. You need 
um, urgent help. You, you need Jesus to do for you what you cannot do and have no hope of doing. When you come to God in that way, with empty hands, you come with nothing but your need for him. What you find is forgiveness. That's what Jesus says, that repentance and forgiveness in my name will be taken out to the nations. Full and complete forgiveness paid on the cross, confirmed, sealed in the resurrection, proven in the resurrection. Now, here's the, here's the closing application. Join the movement. Join the movement because this Jesus movement is better than any other movement. Okay, I, I began the sermon talking about an article that's titled, The World is Broken and Human Kindness is the Only Solution. The article it, it has interviews from a lot of academics and leaders and, and um, intellectuals and so on. And it, now, if you join the kindness movement, okay, here's what you do. You start thinking about your compassion footprint, Okay, that might be a new thing, but you start thinking about it. You start analyzing that in your life. What is your compassion footprint? Um, you start thinking about how to, how to like pay it forward, right? A butterfly effect. And, and, and pay it forward. And your life becomes like the song lyrics from a, from a movie that I watched at Christmas. Can we do a little good? Maybe give a little more. Work a little harder than we did the day before. It only takes a little good and some doing what you can, taking every chance to make the choice to be a better man. You do a little good. That's actually a very catchy song. I actually enjoy the song. Um, so, so you do, right? You do, and you, you do your taxes, and you, you, you look at your giving, you compare that giving with what, what was it last year and what is it now? Do a little more. Do a little more. Sometimes you, you buy the coffee of the person behind you, right? You, you educate yourself on important topics. And at the grocery checkout, do you want to give $2? And sometimes you do. Sometimes you do. You do a little good. The world is broken, and human kindness is the only solution. Your kindness is the solution. You feel pressure. I read that article that I, I've mentioned. I absolutely felt pressure. Um, if, if, if my and our kindness is the only solution, well, I want to invite you into a better movement. The world is broken, and human kindness is the solution. That's interesting. Yes, it is. It's the kindness. It's the grace of not you and me, it turns out is the kindness and the love of that man, Jesus Christ. It's his kindness. That's the only solution. Sent by God the Father. Sent as light into the world. Sent as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world by his kindness and his grace to us. So you join the movement. Not when you... You don't join when you, you, you do a little good or, or when you show compassion. No, you join the movement when you admit that you're weak and you have a heart that doesn't work properly. It doesn't do the things that it's 
supposed to do. It doesn't love the way that it's supposed to do. You, you join when you admit that. You join the movement when the kindness of Jesus Christ becomes the kindness in your life that matters. Ultimately, that matters. His grace to you. And you serve the move, movement not when you um, pay it forward, not when you, you do a good turn and you take every chance to make the choice to be a, to be a better man, a better woman. You, you serve the movement not when you are, are like pointing to yourself in your kindness. You serve this movement, this Jesus movement, ultimately when you point away from yourself and you point to him with your life, with your words, because he has done good. Now, isn't this better? I don't need to think more about myself. I don't need that in my life. I have enough of that. I have quite enough of that. I, that's, that, that's kind of the relentless self-focus that, that is my and is our sinful condition. I need to be let out of that, um, always thinking about my actions and my and how am i doing am i doing enough am i is is my compassion and 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 do more that is our whole problem we don't need more of that and can i be compassionate enough to match the problems and the brokenness around me can you are you compassionate enough to match the level of brokenness that you see around you in the world. We need to get outside of ourselves. We do. We need a hope that's outside of what we do. We need a resilient hope. We need that, and our world needs that hope. Grace West, we have that hope in Jesus, is before us in our passage today. So Grace West, let's join the movement Let's look to him. Let's put our hope in him. But not only that, let's join the movement. Let your life point to him. Your witness, as a witness to the risen Jesus, your, your witness to someone in your life can be as simple as three words. He changed me. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Let's pray.